You gotta hear this song. Everybody said it. Everybody's heard it. It doesn't matter what age you are, certain songs just have that timeless quality. And so do certain biblical truths. And just like every generation discovers these songs, every generation needs to discover these truths. Mixtape, fresh voices for your summer. Oh man, you guys don't have to do that. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Calvary Albuquerque. You guys are awesome. Somebody said I look like my dad. Just more hair, right? A little more hair. Hey, he's my dad. I can give him a hard time. Man, so good to be here with all of you. Thank you, Pastor Skip. Lenya, so good to see you. Man, I'm so thankful uh, just for this opportunity to be here with all of you tonight. I got to tell you, um, this church holds a special place in my heart, and your pastor and his wife hold a special place in my heart and in my family's heart. Um, Last time I was here, I got to speak on a Wednesday night as well. It was about a year ago. But before that, I was actually standing here with Nate and Janae as Nate was married. And I was one of Nate's groomsmen. And so that was so cool. Nate's been a great friend for so long. And Skip, you're exactly right. Really growing up together. And I tell you what, pastors' kids have the potential to be some of the most screwed up people in the world. And man, I tell you, it's no coincidence that Nate has turned out to be the man that he has. Your pastor and his wife, Lenya, have obviously just done such a great job with Nate. And I'm so thankful uh, for Nate and Janae and for Skip and Lenya and just seeing these men and women that are really doing ministry so boldly, so faithfully. And I tell you what, I, I hope you guys are praying for your pastors and for the staff here because spiritual attack is a real thing. And the challenges that they have to face and we have to face are very real. And so I'm so thankful that uh, they've continued to serve the Lord so faithfully. And I'm so honored, again, that I get to stand here at this pulpit um, of many, many sermons that I have listened to and also stolen from your pastor (laughs) and taken from him. And so if you hear something tonight that sounds a little familiar, it's probably because it is familiar to you. And so don't be surprised. Um, we're going to be in the book of Acts chapter 1 tonight, the book of Acts. And I know you guys are a well-taught church. How many of you brought your Bibles tonight? Let me see them. Come on. That's what I want to see. It's been said one of the most beautiful sounds that a preacher can hear is the rustling of Bible pages. One of the other reasons that Pastor Skip and his family hold a special place in my heart and in my family's heart is because, yeah, we've known each other for a long time but also because Pastor Skip, when he was out in California for that brief time, played a really significant role in the conversion of my brother Christopher. Christopher, um, like myself, was wayward for a number of years. And, uh, you know, it's, I'll be honest, it can be hard growing up in the church, you know? You have the same conversations, and people kind of expect you to be something that maybe you're not, and maybe you don't really want to be. You know, I know for a long time, I was still figuring out who I was going to be, and people were asking me, are you going to grow up and be a preacher like your dad? Well, I guess they kind of have their answer now, don't they? But, you know, there's, there's a certain amount of pressure. But Christopher, he, he walked away from the Lord for a time, and because of Pastor Skip and his teaching and his friendship to my family and to Christopher, Christopher started attending that church down there. And Christopher started to grow in his relationship with the Lord and started to fall more in love with the teaching of the Bible. And it was your pastor that really helped disciple Christopher uh, and his wife, Brittany. And I'm so thankful for his role in my brother's life. It was 11 years ago that my older brother Christopher went to heaven unexpectedly. 
uh, for those of you that don't know, 11 years ago this July. And so that is something that's still very fresh. It still feels really recent, even though it was 11 years ago. It feels like just yesterday, uh, but it also feels like so long ago. It's so weird how that starts to happen. Um, but I'm so thankful for your pastor and his wife and, and what they did for my brother. Um, it gives us, us younger guys, something to look forward to and something to strive for as well. It's just that faithfulness in ministry for so many years. Well, the last couple of months in my own relationship with the Lord, um, I've been trying to be really intentional about recognizing and counting the blessings in my life and thanking God for them specifically. You know, it's really easy to just go and, and, and ask for the thing that we need from the Lord. And there's a place for that to, to pray and ask God to answer your prayer right then. Lord, I need this. I need that. This is going wrong. This thing in work is messed up. I need you to come in and fix it. Lord, help me. There's also a place where we need to come back and say, thank you, Lord, for all the blessings you've given me in my life, you know? There's a, been a number of studies that have been done on faithfulness, and, or rather on thankfulness. Not only that, of course, we see them in Scripture. Psalm 103, verse 2 tells us, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. That's another way of saying, count your blessings. Count your blessings. Have you ever... Um, you know, maybe around Thanksgiving time or maybe around the family dinner, you, uh, you participate in one of those circles of thankfulness and you have to stand around and hold hands with the person next to you. And somehow I always end up with the person that has clammy hands. And uh, you go around in the circle and you say what you're thankful for and you pray. And it's great. And I think those are, are wonderful. Um, but I always feel like I get stuck at the very end of the circle and all the good things have already been prayed for. And so... Usually people start off with, oh, Lord, we're thankful for our family. We're thankful for our health. We're thankful for Jesus. We're thankful for the Bible and the church. And then it comes to me and I'm like, I, you know, I'm thankful for tacos. And like, <laughs> you kind of you run out of things. And we've got an entire holiday that we are supposed to give thanks on, right? Of course, Thanksgiving. But it's not just those times that we should be thankful. We should be thankful all of the time, counting our blessings all of the time. Scripture is replete with commands telling us to be thankful. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 tells us to be thankful in all circumstances. In all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. But it's not just the Bible that tells us to be thankful. There's been a number of secular studies as well that tell us uh, the benefits of the thankful mindset. A UC Davis professor of psychology, a guy named Robert Emmons, said, clinical trials indicate that the practice of gratitude can have dramatic and lasting effects in a person's life. It can lower blood pressure. It can improve immune function and facilitate more efficient sleep. One recent study from the University of California, San Diego School of Medicine found that people who were more grateful actually had better heart health, specifically less inflammation, and healthier heart rhythms. Another study found that gratitude can actually boost your immune system. Uh, researchers at the University of Utah in Kentucky observed that stressed-out law students who characterized themselves as optimistic actually had more disease-fighting cells in their bodies. Come on. But Emmons said that there's even more evidence. Listen to this. People who keep a gratitude journal have a reduced dietary fat intake as much as 25% lower. Stress hormones like cortisol are 23% lower in grateful people. And having a daily gratitude practice could actually reduce the effects of aging to the brain. 
being thankful has such a profound effect because of the feelings that go along with it. Hey, so forget kale, be thankful. <laughs> right? Max Lucado in his book, The Good Life, said, The life of contentment begins not when circumstances change, but when our attitude towards them does. Now listen, this isn't positive thinking. This isn't just a mentality that we are told to have uh, by secular people. We see it in Scripture as well. Again, Psalm 100, verse 4, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now, that was written by the Apostle Paul while he was sitting in a jail cell in Rome, chained between two soldiers awaiting his own execution. And he was saying, be thankful. Think of these things. Think of things that are pure. Think of things that are just. Think of things that are good. Meditate on those things. We are to have an attitude of gratitude. One secular author put it this way. If you concentrate on what you have, you'll always have enough. But if you concentrate on what you don't have, you'll never have enough, right? Have you found that to be true? Oh, man, you know, my, my wife, she just doesn't live up to, uh, you know, Chip and Joanna Gaines, and she's just not living up to that lifestyle. And hey, well, if you're going to go that way, my husband certainly doesn't look like Chip Gaines either. <laughs> oh, I wish my job could be a little bit better. I wish I could make a little bit more money. I wish I drove a car like that. I wish my kids got those grades. Be thankful in all circumstances. Be thankful in all circumstances. First Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. And as Christians, we have a lot to be thankful for. As you look at culture today, people are looking for all the answers in all the wrong places, aren't they? We see the mental health epidemic of depression and anxiety and stress. And we see the suicide epidemic, which is a response to that. People are hopeless. They're looking for the answers. You look at the polarizing political atmosphere we're currently living in. Man, things can appear hopeless. But Christian, our joy is not based in circumstance. Our joy is based in where we stand. And we stand in Jesus Christ. The greatest miracle, the greatest blessing in all of the Bible is summed up in this. 2 Corinthians 5.21 for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Ephesians 1, 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Because of what Jesus Christ did for us, we have the hope of heaven. We have the hope of eternal life, and we have the hope of a fulfilled life here on earth. As Christians, our hope is not based on circumstance. It's based on where we stand. We stand before God, not of our own accord because of what we have done on our own good works, but because of what Christ has done for us. We have the hope of heaven. We have the forgiveness of sins, and we have the fulfillment and purpose here on earth. Now, does this mean that our lives here on earth are going to be breezy and easy and, and without pain? No, actually, quite the contrary. Jesus himself, in this world, you will have tribulation. In this world, you will have tribulation. Man, that can be a hard thing to hear. But I'm thankful that Jesus continued, and he didn't leave that statement standing alone. He said, in this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. We win in the end as Christians. We have the hope of heaven, 
And it can be easy for us to forget that. In the life of every person on the face of the earth, there will be hardship, there will be pain, and there will be trials. There are things in our lives that if we were to look at on a roadmap of our life, you know, you've got the, the date of your birth and the date of your death on there, and you see, oh, I'm going to go to school, and just kind of the whole roadmap of your life laid out before you, I think that all of us will be pretty quick to say, you know what, why don't we take a detour around that part right there? Why don't we cut that part out and not go through that challenge? Why don't we not go through that trial? If we could, we would do that. But those difficulties, those things that we go through have a way of molding us, and they have a way of shaping us into who we are today. Pain has a way of changing us, doesn't it? It has a way of transforming us. I can speak from personal experience. My life was radically transformed by pain. It was ultimately the death of my brother Christopher, which brought me back to the Lord. I was living in a, a world where really I was living for myself, living for the temporary. Drugs, alcohol, addiction was a very real part of my life that I couldn't break free from. But God used a trial in my life to bring me closer to him. Now, I want you to understand, this is not me saying, God, you made that trial happen so that I could come to Jesus. No, that trial happened. That bad thing happened. Just like Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. But God used it in my life to bring forward something that never would have happened otherwise. And so I can look and say, I'm thankful for the trials in my life. I'm thankful for the pain that I've had to endure because Jesus was there and I was able to go through those things with hope. And that is the hope we have as believers. We can look at our pain and find purpose in it. And today I want to talk to you about trials and God's purpose for us in them. Quick poll, how many of you are going through a trial have gone, or have gone through a trial, right? Raise your hand up. Okay, that's, that's pretty much everybody. And if you don't have your hand raised, get ready because you really need to take notes because it's been said you're either coming into a trial, in the middle of a trial, or you're coming out of a trial. That should be pretty much everybody. My goal with this Bible study tonight is that you would be able to look at the uncomfortable, challenging, and even painful things in your life with perspective that they have the ability to make you look more like Jesus, that you can be thankful for your trials even. Uh, I doubt any of you had somebody in your circle of thanks say, Lord, I'm thankful for the trials. No, not very many people are going to say that. All right, so as we are going to be in the book of Acts chapter 1 tonight. This book was written by a pretty amazing guy named Luke. Um, Luke was also the author of the Gospel of Luke. He's only written two books uh, in the New Testament, but that accounts for one-third of the entire New Testament. We don't hear about Luke very often, do we? We know he's got the Gospel. We know he's got the book of Acts here, but he's written one-third of our New Testament. We don't know a ton about him. We know that he was a physician. We know that he was a personal assistant slash friend slash ministry partner uh, to the Apostle Paul on his missionary journeys. But as a doctor, Luke recorded the chronological events of the first century church with surgical accuracy, if you will, sparing no details. And what we're going to read here in the opening chapter in the book of Acts is the record of the final day of Jesus' physical ministry on earth. So let's look at the book of Acts. Chapter 1, starting in verse 1. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. 
And during the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once, when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so when the apostles were with him, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? The, the disciples never quite got it, did they? Why Jesus really came. Verse 7, he replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after saying this, he was taken up into a cloud, and while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Let's end there. Lord, now we just pray that as we just read your word, that they would really these words would resonate in our hearts and the, the truths that we find in Scripture would impact us today. We ask that you would speak to us through your word now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. My message title tonight is Purpose in Pain. Purpose in Pain. Now, I love this uh, passage of Scripture right here because this has just got to be one of the craziest things that ever happened in all of the Bible is right here. The craziest scene ever, right? You've got Jesus, you've got the disciples, and he gives them the largest assignment, one that we're still trying to complete to this day, to take the message of Jesus Christ to Judea, Samaria, Jerusalem, and ultimately to the ends of the earth. And without any explanation of what he means by that, without any strategy or plan of attack or outline, he leaves he just floats up to heaven on a cloud. All right, guys, good luck with that. Now, if I had a, a choice on the matter, I definitely would like to go to heaven floating up on a cloud. That sounds like a good way to go. A couple of things I want to point out to you from this passage. Look at verse 4. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but just in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And that's my first point, number one. For those of you taking, no, uh, taking notes, don't leave Jerusalem. Don't leave Jerusalem. Now, for a moment, I want you to put yourself in the remaining 11 disciples' shoes uh, for a moment here. For the last three years, you have gotten to walk the face of the earth with the Son of God, Jesus Christ. He's the wisest Bible scholar that will ever walk the face of the earth. He took the profound and complex and made it simple and understandable. The Bible tells us that the common people heard him gladly. You witnessed the most miraculous healings and displays of power that mankind, was, uh, that mankind would ever see. You were able to even yourself tap into some of that power and perform healings yourself, casting out demons and healing people, helping lame walk and blind see. That'd be pretty cool, right? How about the part where Jesus commanded the storm to stop and the waves to cease when they're on the Sea of Galilee there. And he said, peace be still. It's like, whoa, who is this guy that the elements listen to him? But Jesus, you, 
You would just be stoked that you got to follow him around. You were stoked to be affiliated with him because he was the real deal. Unlike some of those religious leaders in Jerusalem that were hypocrites and were hard on the people, Jesus was the opposite. He was the real thing. He was transparent. He was always willing to talk with you. He embodied love. He was bold. He rebuked hypocrisy. He was everything you wanted in a leader. But one day, those religious leaders in Jerusalem who had been constantly hassling you guys ever since Jesus started his public ministry, uh, finally followed through with their threats of saying that they were going to kill him and imprison him. And they took Jesus, arrested him, and in the most public and shameful way imaginable, executed Jesus through crucifixion. Now, our word excruciating, some of us uh, have endured excruciating physical pain. It actually comes from the Latin word excruciare, which means to be crucified. Jesus was hung on a cross on the most public street that led to the most public entrance into Jerusalem on the most popular religious holiday of the year. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine millions of Jewish pilgrims that would have been flocking into Jerusalem to come and celebrate the Passover, coming to maybe catch a glimpse of this miracle worker, this prophet that everybody had heard about at this point, Jesus of Nazareth. And they're hoping to catch a glimpse, hoping to catch some miracle that maybe he would perform, right, during the Passover season. As they're coming in, they catch a, they catch a, a, a picture of him, but it's not what they're expecting. They see Jesus, this great prophet, this great miracle worker, beaten and bloodied, hanging from a cross, gasping for air, hardly resembling a man. As a disciple, in the last few years with Jesus, you've done more in your entire life. You've stood before high-ranking officials, you've seen supernatural miracles, and you just saw Jesus breathe his last breath. You just saw him finish his life. And they must have just felt like their world was turned upside down the person that they loved so much, the guy that they thought was going to lead them into uh, the new Jerusalem and all this, just died and breathed his last breath. They must have felt like their world was completely over. Well, I, I'm going to go back to fishing, I guess. What are we going to do here? They must have just been so lost. But then, three days later, word comes that Jesus has risen again from the dead, and you can't even begin to imagine that that would be possible. But sure enough, you see Jesus yourself. You see him eat food. You get to touch him and hear him, and your mind would just be blown that this guy who is dead is now walking again on the face of the earth. And for the next 40 days, you get to see Jesus get kind of right back into his element. You see him getting back to the good old days where he's doing some teaching, and he's doing some miracles, and he's doing some healings. And as time goes on towards the end of that 40 days, you're barely able to even remember the fact that Jesus was dead just a few weeks earlier, that he was buried in a tomb, that he was hanging on a cross just a few weeks ago. And as you spend more time with the resurrected Jesus, it starts to click that this is quite significant. Uh, in fact, you can't remember the last time somebody died and rose themselves up from the dead. Uh, this must be pretty significant, and that's because nobody ever had. Um, and as you're realizing the significance of this message, you recognize that the whole world needs to hear about this man, this man, Jesus of Nazareth. This is bigger than Jerusalem, I think, guys. I, I think that people need to hear about this. Maybe this is bigger than all of Judea and all of Israel. Maybe this is bigger than Samaria. Is this bigger than, should people in Rome hear about this as well? Yes. 
As they begin to really think about it, they realize they need to take this message out on the road. People need to hear about Jesus, that he was the prophesied Messiah, and that he was the one that everybody was waiting for. But before you get to that place of leaving Jerusalem and going out on your missionary journey, Jesus says to them in our text, do not leave Jerusalem. Don't leave Jerusalem. What? That's completely counterintuitive, right? You would think that they would be sent out at that point, right then and right there. You wouldn't want to stay in Jerusalem. That'd be the last place you would want to be because Jerusalem was the place that everybody had turned on Jesus. Jerusalem was the place where the fair-weather followers were, were just a few days before he was crucified, they were saying, Hosanna, the son of David, welcome the king of the Jews, recognizing that he was the prophesied Messiah. But then a few days later, they would be the same ones shouting, crucify him, crucify him, release to us Barabbas, the insurrectionist. We want Jesus to be executed. That was the last place the disciples would want to be. That's where the religious leaders would have been. That's where the Romans were. That's where Pontius Pilate was. The last place that the disciples would want to be after seeing the greatest comeback, the greatest underdog, the greatest Robin Hood story ever happen would be in Jerusalem. That'd be the last place they'd want to be. Jerusalem would be the last place they would want to be, but Jesus tells them, my work here isn't done yet. I'm not yet finished. Don't leave Jerusalem. Don't pack your bags and leave town just yet. All around the world, in churches across the face of the earth, people are enduring their own Jerusalem. They're enduring their own hardship. They're in some kind of uncomfortable situation that they want out of. It might be that your family or coworkers make fun of you for being a Christian. Oh, you go to church on a midweek study? Isn't that just for, like, for Sunday morning? You're going on a Wednesday night too? Man, you're a, you're a fanatic, right? Don't you know that religion is the opiate of the masses? Haven't you ever heard that? Oh, Christianity, that's just a crutch. Why don't you just go to the bar and go to the strip club with us instead? Or maybe they give you a hard time because you won't engage in some lame jokes at work or you won't lie to the government uh, about some tax stuff or whatever it might be. Or it might be this uncomfortable situation uh, is that you and your, your wife, man, you guys are really going through a hard time right now. Or maybe your kids are giving you a hard time and they're challenging you and your faith and they're asking you some hard questions and you're not quite sure how to answer them or they might be completely wayward and have turned their back on the church and turned their back on the Lord and saying, actually, I believe there is no God. And you're in some situation that, man, if you had the opportunity to, you would click your heels three times together, say there's no place like home and you'd zap yourself out of it if you had the option to. Well, listen, I wanna tell you that I believe that God has you right where you are for a reason. He has you in this season for a very specific reason. And if it rhymes, you know it must be true. In those times when you're at the end of your rope, listen, God is aware. God is aware when you're in those difficult times. God is aware when you're barely able to make ends meet financially. God is aware when you or someone you love is going through an illness that breaks your heart. God's aware of that. Psalm 34, 18 tells us that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. So listen, in those times of trials, when you're enduring your own Jerusalem, if you will, you want to get out of this situation, you need to lean into your faith. This is the time you need to lean into your faith. This is not the time to run away or to give in and give up. This is the time you need to lean in and dig your heels in. 
1 Corinthians 10, 13 tells us, No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are capable of resisting without also making a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Now you might be thinking, well, we're not talking about temptation, really. We're talking about trials, right? Well, that word uh, in the Greek for temptation is parasmos. Say parasmos. Parasmos just can be simply translated as a trial, a temptation, or a test. So now let's put that word back in there and look at it from that perspective. When you are being afflicted, when you are being tempted or tested, he will not allow you to be beyond what you are capable of handling. Listen, God's not going to allow you to go through something that he knows you won't be able to handle without his Holy Spirit. Like I mentioned 11 years ago, this July, uh, my older brother Christopher went to be with the Lord after a fatal car accident on his way to work. And I tell you, through the loss of my brother, there were moments, as I mentioned, uh, as I was going through this time of addiction and drug use and everything, just lying, um, that I wanted to go back to that old way of living, right? Is that pain was so deep and so painful and so hard that it would wake you up at two o'clock in the morning and you would be sobbing uncontrollably that you could barely breathe. I'm telling you, this is, this is real pain. And as my family was going through this as well, you know, my brother, he left behind not only a wife, but a little girl two days, four days away from her second birthday, and his wife was six months pregnant. This was something that just absolutely shook us, and it was so hard. It was so painful. And I'll be honest, in those moments that I wanted to turn back to drugs. I wanted to turn back to those things to numb myself, right? I wanted something to help me get through it. And I'll be honest, uh, there was a couple of times that I, I did give in and I faltered in my faith and I turned to those things. But in those moments immediately following, I grew in my faith because I leaned in. I leaned in during that trial. I leaned in during that period in my life that was so painful. And instead of looking to the world, I looked to God. Instead of going to the bar, I went to church. Instead of turning to chemicals, I turned to prayer. I didn't numb myself or go into denial. I was able to face that pain head on. And I tell you right now, if he can do it for me, he can do it for you. He can use that pain. He can use that trial, that trial in your life. And I want to tell you that that discomfort in your life right now, man, that, that is a potent catalyst that you can use to grow in your faith and to lean into all that God says that he is. In that immediate aftermath, I grew more in that time than any other time in my life spiritually. And so listen, when you look at this situation that you're in, this trial, this hardship, this difficulty, an aftermath of a loved one dying, an illness of yourself or a loved one, or you're going through a divorce, or you're being persecuted at church, you're going through some kind of temptation, some kind of trial, I want you to remember the words of Jesus' own brother James when he says this, dear brothers and sisters, when, not if, when troubles, trials, hardships of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Wait, what? That's like some Jedi stuff right there. Are you serious? I'm supposed to be looking at my troubles and hardships with joy and opportunity for joy? Verse 3, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Well, I'm not going through a trial right now, Jonathan, so I'm just going to go ahead and check out. Well, again, man, you're the one that really needs to be taking notes in this time because... 
you could be going into a trial and not even know it. And I have a question. Are trials good things? No, they're, they're not. They're, I mean, bottom line, they're not. I'm never going to look at the death of my brother as a good thing. No, that was literally the worst thing that's ever happened to me. That is the worst thing that's ever happened to me and to my family. But they can be used for good results. God can do good things with them. So when you're going through this persecution, this illness, this trial, if it causes you to pray more, if it causes you to read more, if it causes you to come to church more and be more open about your faith with fellow believers, those are good things. Those are the best things that can come from the bad. And if you will be obedient and discipline yourself to walk closer with God, you will be able to look back at this trial and say, this was bad, but God is good. You'll be able to say, he was there for me. He loves me. He sustains me in a very special way. Romans 8, 28 to 29, so many of us are familiar with this scripture, and it's, it's so true. It says this, that we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And I want you to notice doesn't say that God takes bad things and makes them good. It doesn't say that. It says God works together all things for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. He works everything together and brings good out of it. So listen, I believe that God has you right where you are right now in the prime spot to grow deeper in your faith than ever before. Well, don't I need to like go to some mountaintop or something to go be alone with God or go be alone in the jungle so I can really meditate and focus on my relationship with the Lord? Or don't I need to go and, and stay in the desert for like 40 days like Jesus did or something? No, you probably shouldn't try that. You'll probably die. But <laughs> listen, you don't need to go to some mountaintop to experience God. You don't need to go to some remote jungle or some remote place to be alone with the Lord. I'm not talking about some religious emotional experience. I'm talking about growing deeper in your faith. Proverbs 8.17 says, those who search will surely find me. And I like this in the old King James, right? The old KJV, it says this, those that seek me early shall find me. Listen, maybe you don't need to go to Israel or go to the top of some mountain to find God or some remote jungle. Maybe all you need to do is wake up 30 minutes earlier than you normally do and spend some time in the Bible and seeing what God has to say for you that day. You don't need to go to some remote place you just need to seek the Lord. Listen, God has you right where you are for a reason. So don't leave Jerusalem. Don't turn your back and run away and give in and falter in your faith. This is the time to lean in. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the, word, uh, to the, ends of the earth. Point number two, tell the world. Tell the world. So listen, after you've endured your trial, after you've gone through it, and while you're in the middle of it, as you grow deeper in your relationship with the Lord, you've learned from it, you've endured your Jerusalem, you need to tell the world. You need to tell people about what Jesus did for you. Listen, Jesus knew if the disciples in the first century church left Jerusalem prematurely, they would miss out on the special gift that he wanted to give them. And for the disciples, their blessing was when the day of Pentecost had come, 
God poured out his Holy Spirit upon them in a very special way. Now, these disciples, they wouldn't have been able to do anything like we read about in Scripture had it not been for the empowering of the Holy Spirit. But because of their obedience, because they stayed in Jerusalem, they didn't falter, they didn't disregard what Jesus had to say, they didn't disobey, they were obedient, and they were together all under one roof when the Holy Spirit came on that day at Pentecost, like a mighty rushing wind, and there was a powerful movement of the Spirit that was poured out upon the church in those days. Listen, as we're obedient, as we lean into our faith, as we endure this pain, as we endure this Jerusalem, if you will, there is going to be a special blessing that God wants to pour out in your life as a result of that. Throughout Scripture, we see when we are obedient, the Spirit moves. You know, in California, we have fires, we have earthquakes, and I've been hearing that there's like all these micro earthquakes that are happening right now in Southern California, and we're on the San Andreas Fault. So anytime there's like a little earthquake, everyone's like, here, it's the big one, the big one's coming, and it's a little scary. Um, and I know here in Albuquerque in New Mexico, uh, you guys have flooding and you guys have fires as well, I'm sure. And I think you guys even have tornadoes too, right? You guys have tornadoes sometimes, occasionally in some parts, the, the rare tornado. Um, and man, these are, these are crazy natural disasters. I'm kind of fascinated by tornadoes. They're just this amazing natural disaster of so much power. Uh, and as you look at some of the aftermath of these photos, it's absolutely devastating seeing what happens when a tornado comes tearing through a neighborhood or tearing through uh, even a forest or something. Uh, I've seen a couple of pictures that blew my mind. One was a picture of a, a drinking straw. You know, like the little plastic straws that, that crumple up when you try and force it through the lid in your McDonald's cup? It's like the, the straw splinters because it's so thin and weak. I saw a picture of a straw that got caught in a tornado and got wedged all the way through the trunk of a tree, and it came through the other side. It was moving so fast and had so much power behind it, it was able to force its way through the trunk of that very strong tree. I saw a picture of a vinyl record, uh, you know, like the old records that you would play on a record player, a vinyl record that was blown in a tornado that was moving so fast and hit this concrete curb so hard that it was wedged inside of the concrete curb and looked like the concrete was poured around it. I mean, there's no way to explain how these things happen except that there was a very powerful force behind these objects that allowed them to have devastating, almost supernatural impacts. Well, with the disciples, as they took the word of God into the world, there was more than just a powerful wind at their backs. There was God's Holy Spirit working in and through them, and there was amazing impacts that happened as a result of that that never would have been able to happen if the Holy Spirit wasn't working in their lives and guiding them and leading them. And for us as believers today, that special gift of the Holy Spirit is available to us right here, right now. And so listen, yeah, as you've endured your Jerusalem, as you've gone through this place of discomfort and this, this hardship, we have our marching orders from Jesus himself. Verse 8, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so listen, Calvary Albuquerque. You will be my witnesses, Jesus says. You will be my witnesses everywhere, in the gym, in the workplace, in your homes, in your communities, in America, and to the ends of the earth. You know, America, this place that we live, and even New Mexico too, it's really amazing that our communities, they're melting pots of the world, right? 
Before, you used to have to travel so far and wide to find somebody that spoke a different language. Now you just go down to the, the local community hub and you can find people that speak 10 different languages there from different countries who have never heard about Jesus Christ. So listen, yeah, go to the ends of the earth. Go to that far remote country that has never heard about Jesus Christ, but also Go down to your local community center. Talk to somebody who's never heard about Jesus. Tell them about something that Jesus has done for you. Tell them how he freed you from addiction. Tell people how he freed you from this difficulty. Yeah, you know what? My, I had cancer, and you know what? I've still got cancer, but I'll tell you this. God is still good, and I still love him because he is sustaining me through this. That is a message that the world can't comprehend. And so as you stand on what Jesus has done for you, it's going to draw others in and see uh, what is so different about you. Because you have tattoos, they'll listen to you. Or because your little sister went through cancer, they'll listen to you. Or because you and your spouse had a really rough patch with your kids, they'll listen to you special. Whoa, wait, so you're telling me that your kids went through this time and, and now you have a good relationship with them? How did, how did that happen? How did you do that? Well, I'll tell you what, it was all Jesus. We just prayed for them and we were open to them and we loved on them and ultimately they came back. But I tell you what, it's all glory to God. Listen, when you have gone through pain, when you have gone through some kind of test, your own Jerusalem again, if you will, you've got a platform that you can stand on. You've got a story that people can't deny. People can deny the existence of God all day long with their arguments and this and that. And there's a lot of people that are smarter than me that have counter arguments and all of that, but nobody can deny your personal experience for what Jesus has done for you. So people will listen with special ears, especially when they are going through something similar. God's given you a unique story, a unique platform that would allow you to minister to people that would never listen to a guy like me. And so let's look one more time at Jesus' last words to his disciples and the church in the second part of verse 8. He says, And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, through Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We are to be witnesses. Now, if you've ever had to be a witness in a court of law, you witnessed some kind of crime, and they called you to be an eyewitness or something, they usually ask you three things. They want to know what you heard, they want to know what you saw, and they want to know what you felt. Well, 1 John 1, 1-2 says this, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we saw with our eyes, which we looked upon and have felt with our hands concerning the word of life, this one who is life itself was revealed to us, and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. So listen, you need to tell others what you have heard, what you have seen, and what you have felt, and what Jesus has done for you. Tell others what Christ has done for you. And lastly, number three, don't stand and stare. Don't stand and stare. Let's look back at verse eight. You will receive power, Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after saying this, Jesus was taken up into a cloud while they were still watching, and they could no longer see him. And as they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. I love this because the disciples are literally like, wait, wait what, what just happened? What, 
Jesus just ascended into heaven. You know, have you ever been at a park or a birthday party or something where a little kid lets go of his balloon and it's floating into the sky and you kind of stand there for a minute and you're like, oh yeah, there it goes. And you know, oh look, a balloon is floating away. And you kind of stand there and you strain looking into the sky and you're like, yeah, I think that's it. So that's literally what the disciples were doing. They're standing there staring at the sky, just looking into the empty abyss of the sky when out of nowhere, two white-robed men literally had to come and snap them out of it. Hey, you Galileans, what are you doing? Jesus just gave you your marching orders, the Great Commission. You need to go and tell all these people about Jesus and about what he's done, and you're standing here staring into the sky. Get going. Get a move on. In the same way, Many of us, we have our marching orders from Jesus. We know what he's commanded us to do, but we're standing and staring into the sky. We're standing around waiting for somebody to tap us on the shoulder and to remind us of what we need to do. Hey, Calvary Albuquerque, use your story. Use your testimony. Use your platform of pain of what you have endured by the grace of Jesus Christ and tell others about what he's done for you. You know, there's a lot of us that are standing and staring into the sky on the sidelines when we need to be in the game. There's a lot of LeBron James and Kobe Bryant in the church that are benching themselves because they don't think they need to get in the game. Oh, I'll leave that up to the professionals. I'll leave that up to Pastor Jonathan and Pastor Nate and Pastor Skip and Pastor Greg. And hey, that's great. God's called us to do that. But God's called you too. God's called you to use your story. God's called you to be a witness for what he's done in your life. And I tell you what, we've got a lot of people in the game that are hogging the ball, that are more interested in how many jerseys they're selling and how many points they're scoring on the opposing team. Listen, we need you. We need you. We need the church to get in the game and help push that ball down the court against the devil. We need you to share your story of how God saved you, how he sustained you through your Jerusalem, and how he can do the same thing for others going through the same thing. How many of you here tonight have been a Christian for over 50 years. Is there anybody here? Over 50 years, raise your hand up. That's amazing, look at that, that's amazing. You're qualified, you're super qualified to share your story. How about 30 years, raise your hands up. Yeah, you're qualified, you're qualified to share your story, that's awesome. How about 15 years, 15 years or more, you've been walking with Jesus Christ, that's amazing. You are qualified to share your story. How about five years, five years or more, you've You've been walking with the Lord. That's awesome. Yeah, we could clap for these people. That's great. All right. How about one year or less you've been walking with Jesus Christ? Raise your hand up. Yeah. Yeah, buddy. You're qualified. You're qualified. My dad tells a story. Um, the first week my dad was a Christian, he recognized, he, you know, he needed to go and, and do his part, you know? In the Jesus movement, there was a lot of evangelism and personal evangelism going on, and he felt called to go and do this. And so he went and got one of those tracts, you know, remember those things, the old paper tracts? I think uh, there's a company called Chick Tracts. I think they're still around. And they would take those tracts and and read them to people and hand them out to people on the street, down at the beach and so forth. And my dad took one of these tracts and he felt he needed to go share with somebody. And so he walked around the beach and um, looking for somebody that he could share with. And he didn't see many people. A lot of people are peers, right? Sometimes it's hard to share with somebody that looks just like us. And so he found a, a lady that looked maybe a little bit like his mom, a little bit older, more approachable. And he says he walked up to her and he said, hi, uh, 
can I, can I read this to you? My name's Greg. Oh, okay, sure. Sure thing, sweetie, go ahead. And he begins to open this tract, and he begins to read it to her verbatim, just reading it, not, you know, even a conversation, just reading it as it was. He tells her the four spiritual laws. And he goes through and he says, oh, you need to uh, realize that you are a sinner and you need to recognize that Jesus died on the cross for your sin and you need to repent of your sin and then you need to repent of Jesus Christ and you can have the hope of heaven. And then he goes on, he's keep reading and then he's like flipping to the back page and it's like copyright 1962, Chick Tracks, <laughs> California, 92704, whatever. And he comes to the end of it and it says, is there anything that would stop you today from putting your life, uh, putting your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And he didn't even really realize he asked this lady a question. He said he looked up and this woman had tears streaming down her face. And she said, no. And he said, no. Okay, cool. Wait, no? Wait, what? That means you want to pray? <laughs> and right there he looked and he found, oh, there's the sinner's prayer right there. So, hey, pray this out loud after me. And he leads her in the sinner's prayer. That was the first person he ever led to Christ because the Lord called him to go and share his faith. No theology worked out, no seminary school, no years of obedience, just a calling on his heart, a calling on his life, and a calling on all of us to go and share our faith. Only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. And when I am dying, how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life is burned out for thee. You know, as I look back at my life, there's a lot of things that I'm really thankful for. And there's even things that I'm, I'm proud of. Um, but I got to tell you, the greatest joy in my life is shepherding and discipling believers. Now, I love to preach. I love to study. I love to give sermons. But I love being with the people of God and sharing with them and using things in my life principles that God has revealed to me and sharing them with others and seeing the same hope that God ministered to me, I am able to minister to other people. That has got to be the greatest privilege and the greatest joy in my life. Discipling my kids, sharing with them that they can have a relationship with Jesus and seeing them grow in their love for the Lord is definitely my greatest joy. And I believe that that will also be the thing that as I look back on my life with that eternal perspective from heaven, I think that will be the thing that I look back upon with the most fondness. That's not going to be the thing. You know, it, it's not going to be how many waves I caught in my lifetime or how many times I, I got under par playing golf. It's not going to be how much money I made. It's not going to be how many parties I went to or what my position was at work. Only what's done for Christ will last. It's so easy. It really is. To just get caught up in the world, right? Right? I mean, this is a really materialistic society. It's so easy to get caught up in wanting to get to that next level of wealth, getting to that next level of education, getting to that next place in our marriage or whatever it might be. And some of those things, hey, they're great to seek after and to grow in, but only what's done for Christ will last. Listen, as a believer, we can read what James said and we can boldly look at trials and face them head on. And we consider them great opportunities for great joy. Because we know that this world is not our end goal. And this is a conversation, as I've experienced personal loss, that I've had with my children. I tell them, listen, this world, there's going to be pain. There's going to be things that we don't plan for. Now, listen, we're going we're gonna to brush our teeth. We're going to eat healthy. 
We're going to wear our seatbelts. We're going to plan to live for a really long time. We're going to wear our helmets. But things happen, guys. And you know what? I don't know if dad's going to live forever. I don't know what's going to happen to us, but we can always know that we will rendezvous in heaven and we will see each other again there. And as you tell your kids that, you prepare for the future, that's the hope for the believer. That's the hope we have as Christians, is that this life is not all there is. We can have the hope of heaven. We can have the hope to look at trials and to look at pain and to look at suffering and count it as an opportunity for joy. Uh, not, I don't know what joy is, but <laughs> as an opportunity for joy. <laughs> Nobody else can say that. That's the hope for the believer. You can look at your pain and have purpose. You can know that there is hope beyond the grave. You can know that you will be reunited with those loved ones that have gone on before you. Now, I want to ask you here tonight, do you have that hope? Do you have that hope? Do you know that when you die, you'll go to heaven? Do you have the hope that when you die, you will see those loved ones that have gone on before you? Can you look at pain? Can you look at suffering and count it as an opportunity for joy because you can use it as that potent catalyst in your life to grow deeper in your faith than before? The hope of the believer does. I have that hope. And you can have that hope here tonight as well. And I want to extend to you an invitation now for you to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Now, I mentioned that my older brother Christopher went to be with the Lord 11 years ago. And just a couple of weeks before Christopher went to heaven, we were driving home from church, and it happened to be after Sunday morning the pastor Skip had taught. And we are driving home in the car, and Christopher, um, I was honest with him. I was very transparent with him. I trusted him. And I told him to a degree uh, about all the things I'd been doing. And he called me out, man, just like an older brother would. He's 11 years older than me. And so he called me out and he said, you know what, man, you're blowing it. You're blowing it. And he kind of went through some of the stuff that I told him and said, you know, this has happened to you. This has happened. This has happened. When are you going to realize that you're screwing your life up? And man, it was that definite come to Jesus kind of talk. And it was like, I'm just kind of silent in the car. You guys have teenagers, your kids just kind of shut down when you're telling them, like kind of lecturing them. I've got a 14-year-old, pray for me. And so that was kind of the moment we were having in the car. And Christopher asked this question. He said, Jonathan, what's it going to take for you to give your life to Christ? I don't really remember what my answer was, but his question stuck in my mind. And over the next few days, his question would be the last thing on my mind before I went to bed. What's it going to take for me to give my life to Christ? I'd made a mess. I was addicted. I tried to clean my life up, but I couldn't. And I remember going to bed one night and thinking, man, I, I need to do this. I need to put my faith in Christ. And it was that next day that Christopher went to be with the Lord. I came home from work, and a friend of ours stopped me in the street before I could go console my mom and dad who were weeping on the grass of their home in the front of their house. There was a group of people from the church that came uh, to support them. And he told me, Jonathan, um, Christopher was killed in a, in a car accident. He's with the Lord now. And man, that felt like my heart just got ripped out of my chest, like my stomach just got pulled out, right? And Christopher's question popped back into my head. What's it going to take? 
and I knew what I had to do. I went up to my room, and I took all my drugs and paraphernalia, and I put it in a paper bag, and I just prayed, you know what, Lord? I've proven to you and to myself that I can't quit this on my own. I can't clean myself up. And so you know what, God? You're not only going to have to take this addiction away, you're going to have to take away the desire as well. Because right now, I want to numb myself. Right now, I want to use these drugs. And so I committed it to the Lord. I gave it to a Christian friend of mine to get rid of for me. I told him, don't tell me where you put it because I'll probably go looking for it. Get rid of it for me. And he did. And that was 11 years ago this July. And it's been 11 years that God has freed me from addiction, that I've been walking in sobriety, and God's delivered me from that. And so my question to you here tonight in closing What's it going to take for you to put your faith in Jesus Christ? What's it going to take? Listen, God will use a wake-up call to get your attention. He will allow that to happen in your life. But listen, you can come to Jesus Christ right here, right now. And so let's all pray. Lord, we do thank you so much for the hope we have as believers, the hope of heaven, the hope of looking at our trials with purpose, knowing that as we look at them, Lord, we can count them as joy because we can grow deeper in our faith, which is truly what we were created to have, is that relationship with you here on earth. So, Lord, we thank you for sending Jesus. We thank you. He died on our behalf and made a way for us. He was a propitiation, that perfect sacrifice to pay for our sins. We couldn't be good enough. We couldn't do it on our own. So you had to make a way when there was no way in his name is Jesus Christ. And so we're so thankful for him. And while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and we're praying here tonight, is there anybody here that might say, man, I wanna know that I can have that hope. I wanna know that when I die, I'll go to heaven. I wanna know that I can have purpose in my pain. Listen, if that's you, I just wanna invite you to stand up and I wanna lead you in a prayer. Wherever you're at in the room, that's right. I just want you to stand up and I wanna lead you in a prayer. You wanna know that you can go to heaven when you die. Just stand up wherever you're at, and I'll lead you in a prayer. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else, you stand up as well. We'll pray together. God bless you over on the side there. This isn't some religious thing that you have to do. This is you just saying, I, I want to make a stand for Jesus Christ. So if that's you tonight, just stand up wherever you are, and we'll pray together. Anybody else? What's it going to take? What's it going to take? God did everything he could to get your attention. He's done everything he can. He's paid the price. All you need to do is receive him now. So anybody else, you stand now and we'll pray together. Anybody else? God bless you. Awesome. God bless you. God bless you over in the corner. God bless you. Amazing. All right. Now, for those of you that are standing right now, I'm just going to ask you, just pray this prayer out loud. That's right, out loud after me, meaning in your heart. This isn't you talking to me or the person next to you. This is you talking to God. Again, your Father in heaven that has done everything he can to bring you home. He wants to hear from you. He's been waiting for this moment, and you were created for this moment. So pray this prayer out loud after me. Dear God, thank you for loving me and for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross. I know I'm a sinner and I've fallen short of your standard, but I'm thankful for the payment that Jesus made on my behalf. So I turn from my sin now and I turn to you from this day forward. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me to walk with you 
from this moment forward. Help me to have purpose in my pain and to be a witness for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Come on. That's good news, guys. That's amazing. We hope you enjoyed this special service from Calvary Church. We'd love to know how this message impacted you. Email us at mystory@calvarynm.church. And just a reminder, you can support this ministry with a financial gift at calvarynm.church. Thank you for joining us for this teaching from Calvary Church.